getting some good stuff. Daniel 12, we'll, we'll read to the end. We'll start on verse 8. Daniel 12, verse 8. And we'll read through the end and then we'll have some commentary here. So Daniel 12, verse 8. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, Go thy way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there shall be a thousand two hundred and ninety days. Blessed is he that waiteth, and cometh to the thousand, thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. But go thou thy way, till the end be, for thou shalt rest, and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. So that's how it ends. Uh, well, this is clear and obvious text. <laughs> no, this is another one of those texts. It's prophecy, so it's a little bit of, uh, I'm not sure what else is going on here. Um, if I looked at the commentaries that I normally browse through, you have Elliot's and Matthew Henry and the Barneses and the Jameson, Faust and Brown and Matthew Poole and the Gills and the pulpit commentary and on and on. These are all older commentaries. These are ones that have been around and are made available. And they're all over the place on what this means. Um, most of them try to take the stance of making these comments that the angel gives on the timing here about the times, times, and the half a time, and the abomination of desolation. And they try to make it fit in with the Tychus Epiphanies, which we know was mentioned earlier in, in the chapter, or in, not in this chapter, in the previous chapter. Uh, but I don't think you can fit it in here. Some try to go through and they do this whole big juggling routine where they switch days for years, you know, like a thousand years a day, days a thousand years, so this could be 1,200 and some days, years, and, and, and they do all this mumbo-jumbo, and I don't know why. Uh, they try to make it prophetic years, you know, they try to make it, oh, this means this, and you never know exactly how long that year might be and how it's going to be, and that's typically not how God works. You know, he tells us so that you may know these things are written, you know, for us, not to be this big thing to be cracked. Um, it's something he wants you to study and to know. I think they're all wrong in their views and how they try to make it fit. And I think it's because of when we live, not because of who I am, that's for sure, and the others that I study with, but I think it's when I am that gives me an advantage that they didn't have. And I think it's because of verse 4 that we studied, you know, about the running to and fro and the time of the end and knowledge shall be increased. Uh, we talked about that being twofold. You know, some of that is just the world in general, how we see the world is in the last days, and, and then we made that comparison and we held the big chart up, you know, and how it was always the same up until, you know, this last little bit, but then how that also affects the Bible. The Bible's not stayed stationary in this. You know, it's been, um, the technology of the day has been applied to it. We talked about the Blue Letter Bible and all the things that are available and all those commentaries I just mentioned, you know, I've got... <clears throat> Matthew Henry in my library, and I got a few others, and Matthew Henry is verbose, man, that guy. Uh, he is hard to get a quick word out of. You got to read, read him long and hard, but uh, I have a lot of them. I have read him because I used to have that, that set at work, and I had time to read through, and, um, but all that's put together on a device in my pocket. You know, I have all the things online where I can search. We have all those things, and now I can run to and fro with word searches and the Greek word searches and how this word is used in this way and all the Strong's numbers that are all compiled together, and I can search it all kinds of ways. So the knowledge has increased of God's word, not only because of technology, but because of things that have been opened up, the confidence we have because of the Dead Sea Scrolls and other things, because of archaeological evidence that lets us know this is exactly right as he said it was and that it's more literal than we'd ever think, and the more we study God's Word. 
And so uh, I think it's clear because of that, because we have this understanding because the seals have been broken, because this book has been opened up, because we are in the last days, and because all these things are going on around us that we have eyes to see and ears to hear that they didn't have before because it was a veil that was put on them. These men were smart, that's for sure. These men were in the Word way more than I've been. But God had a veil over it where they couldn't see. But now it is opening up. And then Jesus, you know, speaks right to us, you know, breaks the, what they call it, breaks the fourth plane, you know, where he looks right into you like the TV show, and they're never supposed to look at the camera, you know, but he looks at the camera and says, go look at Daniel if you want no one to understand this. And he drives us to this because it's a timing passage. One of the supernatural beings um, asked the main being, you know, after he hears this prophecy, uh, look at verse 6, he says, how long? At the very end, how long shall it be till the end of these wonders? You know, when's this going to happen? You know, they, they watch him play all this out. They say, how long? Then the man clothed in linen says, in verse 7 there towards the end, a time, times, and a half. We've looked at that several times. That is a timing phrase that has popped up to us several times. And so, uh, but he gives us some details there that he shall have accomplished, accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people. All these things shall be finished. And so we know there's a he. We looked at this last week. That's the Antichrist, that he's going to do something. But he's given us this times, time and a half. And so this is where we take the biblical year. And you know, so this is a known thing. The Bible is written in a fixed place in time. That is on purpose. It's not something that's ever changing. It's not something that is evolving. It's something that is written when and where so we know what it is. Uh, it's kind of like um, our English Bible, the King James Bible. I have a dictionary um, in there that's a dictionary from the exact same time. So when you read the words, I can look and say, oh, here's what they meant when they meant by that word. So you can see it's written in a fixed place in time. You know, it's not ever changed. Modern versions are fine. I like them. You know, but English language is changes. You know, bad's good, good's bad. You know, it's like all of a sudden, uh, Jeremiah said something about the Riz the other day. I'm like, I don't even Riz or that's fire. You know, it's like, well, we don't. A lot of us are here, Brian, what are you talking about? Some of the younger people are like, oh, you're using an old road, dork. You know, but it's like, you know, language changes. But the Bible's written in a spot where we know how it was used and how it is. And they have dictionary. And so uh, part of that is the years. We know it's 360-day years. You know, but, but before the whole event comes, we added the extra five because that's how the calendar worked. You know, but we live in a day and age where they've had to add five. So if you take a times, a time times, so that's one year, Two years, that's three years, 360 day years, and then a half a time, that's 100, so 360 days, 360 days, 360 days, 180 days, you get 1260 days. And this is my least favorite, I don't like math, and here we have math in the Bible. Uh, but it's 1260 days, and it's tied to the abomination of desolation. Uh, Daniel chapter 9, 27 brings that up to us. This is a timing, it's one that has timing all around it. It says that that last time, you know, he gives us a middle point there. It's the one that Jesus points to in Matthew 24, that event. Daniel eleven twenty seven mentions it again, that the Antichrist is the one who does this abomination of desolation. He's not talking about Antiochus anymore. He's talking about somebody different in the future. Um, jumps forward in uh, chapter 12, verse 7. We have it there with the times, times, and a half, and it talks about this he. And he clarifies that time for us in verse 11. Verse 11 of Daniel 12 says, And from that time... Uh, and from that time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, that's reminiscent of Daniel 9.27, and the abomination that maketh desolate is set up. So we know we're talking about this event, the abomination of desolation. And then he gives us some more numbers there. And so we put all those together, and it ramps it up. It's telling us that the abomination of desolation is this key point where all the wonderings of when did the tribulation start and all that are settled because this is a key event. 
And so I think, I think because of these things, we are confirmed in our thinking about how to answer some of the numbers that we have here in this book. And I hope to make it clear for you here by the time we get done. Um, look at Daniel 12, verse 7. I want to go look at a verse that's going to help us out, but I want us, I want us to have this fresh in our mind first. So Daniel 12, verse 7 says, And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven. Again, I said, he's, he's, he's swearing. Like, like you're swearing to tell the truth? He's like double swearing. He's got both hands up. I'm going to tell you the truth. He swear by him that liveth forever. It shall be for a time, times and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. He slipped in something else there. You know, he's not only told us that there's a he who's going to do this, and I think it's referencing the Antichrist, but he tells us about some of the events that will be going on when this happens. Scatter the power of the holy people. Uh, last time we looked at it, I kept it generic. We just kind of looked at the Jews you know, being the holy people. Um, but the CSB version of the Bible says the power of the holy people is shattered. There's some kind of strength, there's a power that is smashed. The NIV puts that the power of the holy people has finally been broken, that there was some strength that these holy people had that could not be defeated, but it's broken by the Antichrist. And the ESV, it says the power of the holy people comes to an end. All of a sudden, this power that they had comes to an end. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, point, time, a point in time, an event that happens. And the New Living Translation puts shattering of the holy people has finally come. You know, so it's they're all saying the same thing, a little bit different. Kind of gives us a fuller picture then. So, so he, the beast, accomplishes this. It says at the end there, when he, the beast, shall have accomplished, or he does what? Scatters the power of the holy people. Or he's able to smash it or destroy it or bring it to an end of the power of the holy people. So the beast has a big victory over a powerful in, enemy of his, this holy people of God. So we know it's more than one. So it's not like a holy man. It's the holy people, so it lists two. So with that in mind, look at Revelation 11. Revelation 11. Revelation 11 and verse 2. We're going to see those things that he was just telling us in that little bitty awkward phrase at the end of verse 7 of Daniel 12. And this and Daniel, uh, Revelation 11, kind of pull a few elements together for us. So uh, Revelation 11, verse 2. Uh, but the court which was without the temple, leave out, because he's measuring these things for him, and measure it not. For it is given to the Gentiles, and the holy city shall be uh, tread underfoot for forty and two months. There's a timing verse, but that's not what we're looking at. Verse 3. And I will give power unto my two witnesses, holy people. God, God's two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred threescore days clothed in sackcloth. How many days is that? Twelve hundred and sixty days. It's, this, it's, it's lining it up with the times, times, and a half a time. There's twelve hundred and sixty days. There's going to be two witnesses that are dominating the front half of the tribulation. It's a seven-year period divided into two twelve hundred and sixty days. And so they oppose the beast for twelve hundred and sixty days. Um, Verse 5. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceeds out of their mouth. They're invincible. For 1,260 days, they can't be touched. If anyone comes near to them, they can breathe fire on them. I, I'm, I, 
That's going to make the news. That would be a viral video. First time they roast a guy standing there. Fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. So not only does it just keep them away, he like consumes them like a flamethrower. And if any man will hurt them, he must in this manner be killed. And so they're not just blatantly doing this, you know, going around breathing fire, killing everybody. It's when people come to attack them or people come with intent to hurt them. They breathe fire and, and, and it destroys them. Yeah, so they're a dominant point of the first three and a half years of the tribulation. They are a fixture. They are something that the beast hates, and he's not able to touch them. Uh, verse um, 7, or 6, sorry. They have power to shut heaven. That means they can stop all, all rain, stop, stop the rain from falling. That it rain not on the days of their prophecy. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood. Oh, you're having a drought because I shut up the clouds? So you think you can use your bottled water or your water filter or your river or your reservoir or whatever, they can turn them to blood and smite the earth with plagues. They can bring plagues down, locusts, gnats, frogs, you know, darkness, whatever it might be. Some, I mean, this is paralleling with what happens with Moses as he's battling Pharaoh. Uh, that's exactly it. And as often as they will. So they can do it as often as they want. For 1,260 days, they can do all this. They make a mockery of the beast. Who's able to make war with him? They're like, we are. And, and they can oppose him, and they fight, and they keep preaching the message that Jesus is the Christ, that there's one way to be saved. You have to repent and trust in Jesus. You missed him. They're there for the Jewish people. They're there for the world to tell them. He came once. He took away the church. He's coming back. He's going to judge you in wrath unless you re repent and trust in him. Don't take the mark of the beast. It's the number of a man. You know, but take, the, uh, take on the Holy Spirit of God. Be sealed with him. You know, so they're warning. They're giving him this message. Uh, they sound like me on steroids out there preaching the same thing over and over. <laughs> but they're out there, but they're they're bringing it, you know, and because they're sincere, they have a zealousness for it, and the, the time is short, you know. So they're, so they're preaching it. Verse seven, and when they shall have finished their testimony, so God has determined their time. The devil doesn't have power. God has determined their time. When they have finished their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, it shall overcome them, and kill them. He shall have power over the holy people to scatter them. Because Jesus says when this happens, now that they've been protecting, we assume, because they, we know they're in Jerusalem, so we're assuming they're around the Temple Mount, probably protecting God's temple, the thing that the Antichrist wants to desecrate. But now that he's killed them, he has access. There's no more breathing fire. There's no more bringing down plagues. And so they now they have access to the, he has access to the temple to go in and desecrate it where he sets himself up as God to be worshipped and sets up his image to be worshipped as, as it is God. And so they, he commits the abomination of desolation. So then when Jesus says, when you see that stand in the holy place in Matthew 24, run. He tells them to run. So now the clock starts on the back half of the tribulation, 1260 days from that time. First 1,260 are, are, are powerful for these two witnesses. But after he has scattered his two witnesses, and the last 1,260 days is the devil's time, sort of. You know, he wreaks havoc on people. He wreaks havoc on the world. But God wreaks havoc right back. You know, this is when the judgments come. Those who've taken the mark, he pours out the bowls and the vials and the trumpets all come upon them, trying to get men to repent. He has times, he has little pauses in the book of Revelation where it's quiet for a little while because God knows that when you're running for your life and you're just trying to survive, you need a minute to think. And so every once in a while, he'll just let off. Give him time to think. He has 144,000 witnesses out there. He has whatever you and I have left written that's not been destroyed and put down upon them or whatever they can stream online or whatever they can listen to, whatever it is that we've got out there to try to reach them. 
that maybe they'll finally see it. Maybe they'll finally understand. Maybe they pull that track out that they've been carrying. They're like, I think I finally get it. You never know. He's told us to be busy. But he finally, and then the Lord comes back at the end of the 1260 days. And so, um, so the first half's good. The back half, you know, all bets are off. And at the 1260-day point, look at uh, Revelation 19. The 1260 days after that point, Revelation 19, verse 15. Jesus Christ is coming down. His armies are following after him. He's on this horse. And verse 15 says, Now of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. He treadeth the winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of God Almighty. And he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. (laughs) No more upstarts, no more pretenders, no more people trying to overthrow and cast the bands asunder. God in heaven laughs. Psalm 2 says he's taking it over. He's going to rule him with a rod. He makes, literally, verse 15, tells him, go read Psalm 2. I'm telling you, they're trying to throw me off. I'm not having it. I'm coming back and establishing my kingdom. Um, verse 18. Uh, in verse 17, we have an angel who's called all the birds together for the great supper of God because of the carnage is going to be, uh, say immense is not big enough a word. All these people that die. Verse 18. Uh, but he calls all the birds that you may eat the flesh, or verse 18, of the kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of them that sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast and the king of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army, against us. And the beast was taken and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeds out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And so Armageddon, you know, he comes down and he's able to judge the whole world. Then you get Revelation 20. And I saw an angel come down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. So the thing I like about this is that a lot of time we try to think of fan, these fantastic events and how it's going to happen. It happens in real time. It takes time for these things to happen. Is what I think Daniel 12 is trying to show us. That God didn't just snap his finger, then all these things happen, it's all done. Um, he's like, no, this has been building. This is, this is, these are events. This is stuff that we're going to witness. You know, when, when God created the world, the sons of God or the, you know, the angels stood around and they shouted for joy. Look at his power. You know, they knew it. They, they can't be deceived by evolution or whatever hokum that we put out there because they saw it with their own eyes. We are now witnesses of some of these big events of the world, you know, of history. We get to watch Satan caught, caught and thrown into this abyss. Verse 2, and he had hold of the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. And he cast him into the bottomless pit, verse 3, and shut him up and set a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. That's a whole other thing. But verse 4, and I saw thrones and they that sat upon them. There's people on thrones. There's rulers here. And judgment was given unto them. 
So there's discerning going on. There's, there's, there's some trials that are happening. Uh, after uh, a victory of any world war, there's trials that happen. You know, Nuremberg, you can think of that. And so we now have this. The trials are happening. Judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received the mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and they reigned with Christ a thousand years. And so they get to rule and reign for a thousand years. Uh, verse uh, 5, But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And so um, there's, there's things that happen. There's time that has to take place. So there is the catching of Satan. There's the bounding of him. There's thrones that are established. There's judgment, courts that are being held. Um, there are priesthood. There's this organization that is happening. Um, I think the thrones is probably the church. Don't you know that you'll be kings and priests? And I've given you judgment of the nations. Some of this is the disciples, you know, that you'll dwell over the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, I think... The Old Testament saints are resurrected at this time. Uh, let's go back to Daniel 12. And there's some key things we can see here that let us know that the Old Testament saints aren't resurrected when the church is resurrected at the rapture. It's a different event. Uh, but in Daniel 12, uh, verse 11 says, And from the time that the daily sacrifice shall be taken away, and the abomination that maketh desolate set up, there should be 1,290 days. So it's not the 1,260 days. There's another 30 days on the end here. You have to, we have to be paying attention. Okay, there's 1,260 days from the time, times, and a half a time. And now there's all of a sudden this extra 30 days. What's going on during that 30 days? Maybe that's the trials. Maybe that's the judgment. Maybe it takes 30 days for the bird to eat Maybe. It's a long meal. It's a feast. Uh, uh, that judgment goes on. Maybe we got to round up all the bad guys to bring them in. That's probably the time of the sheep goat judgment when Jesus Christ judges the nations, you know, and like, what did you do to my people? You know, how did you treat them when they were in prison? Did you visit them? Did you do this? And they're like, no, we didn't know, Lord. When, when were you in prison? And if you didn't do it to the least of these, my brethren, you didn't do it unto me. You know, so he holds them accountable, the sheep and the goat. He casts one into the lake of fire and he casts the other into the millennial reign. So he's 30 days. Which is still moving on. You know, if you're thinking, wow, 30 days, it takes him a month. But it, it's still, that's a, that's a lot of judging that goes on. Um, look, at, look at Zechariah. Hold your spot there. Look at Zechariah 14. We've looked at this before, but now with coming back again and with these other things in mind, uh, Zechariah 14. So Matthew and turn left. Uh, Zechariah 14, verse 3 gives us a little recap again. It says, and then shall the Lord go forth and fight against the, those nations as when he fought in the day of battle. Verse 4, and his feet shall stand in the day on the Mount of Olives. That's the 1260th day when Jesus Christ comes back. This is the second coming of Jesus Christ. Not the rapture, that's a different event. We meet him in the clouds, we meet him in the air. This is Jesus Christ coming back to the earth. And so his feet touch the ground on the Mount of Olives, which is before Jerusalem and on the east. Uh, and on the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the west. And there shall be a very great valley, and half of the mountain shall be removed towards the north and half towards the south. And he shall flee to the valley of the mountains, and the valley of the mountain you shall, shall reach the Azale. 
Yea, and ye shall flee as you fled from the day before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the saints with thee. And so it's gathered everybody together. We've all come. We've amassed to this big place. Verse 6. And it shall come to pass on that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. This is that twilight day that I talked about. That kind of like I think things maybe suspend for at least on the clock when God starts it back up. 30 days has elapsed. You know, 1260, 1290 days. Uh, it's neither light nor dark. Verse 7. But it shall be a one day which shall not be known which shall be known to the Lord, sorry, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at the evening time it shall be light. So God kind of like pauses it. Judah agrees with me. Verse 8. And it shall be in that day that the living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, and half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea. In the summer and the winter it shall be, and the Lord shall be king over all the earth in that day, and there shall be one Lord, and his name one. So he establishes the kingdom. And so it takes time you know, to do all those things takes time to do all that judging. takes time to start terraforming the world as well. Uh, we've looked at it before in Ezekiel where the water comes up and it comes down. It begins to touch all the waters and it makes the fish come back alive and it makes the seas come back and everything gets revitalized and things begin to grow you know, and everything. The world, you know, the curse is being lifted. It's literally like watching the end of a fairy tale. You know, it's like when the curse is lifted and all of a sudden this bring, you know, the, the sparkle dust goes out and things begin to happen, you know, because of this living water, as it happens that way, sparkle dust not the best way to say it, but you know, in my mind how it goes, but I look at Daniel 12 again, it might take 45 days, because uh, there's other things that happen as well, yeah, that would be the, that would be the second resurrection, which would be the, the, the damnation judgment, that's the, those, we want to have part of the first resurrection, which has multiple parts. The second death is the one that goes to death and hell and Hades. The rest, not the saved ones. Yeah, we're all part of the first resurrection. We're going to be in that group. And we took some time a few weeks ago. We went through uh, kind of showing how the first resurrection has multiple parts. <clears throat> um, it's more of a class uh, than a timing thing, even though it has a little bit of timing. <clears throat> so Daniel 12, verse 12, we have another number. So Daniel 12, verse 12, blessed or happy is he that waiteth and cometh to the thousand three hundred and five and thirty days. And so now we have 1,335 days. So that's an extra 45 days that's added to the last 1,290 days. And so 30 days for judgment, <clears throat> maybe an extra 45 days to resurrect the Old Testament saints, to establish God's kingdom. Uh, and there's some, some thought behind this. And so... Um, God's a God of order. He's not a God of chaos. And that's some of the things that I take comfort in, that when the rapture happened, it's not going to be, where am I? Where's everybody else? What's going on? That's not how God is, right? It's not going to be a terror thing for us. It's a comforting thing. It's a homecoming. I think we'll be going up in ranks, you know, Cornerstone Church, gathered together. Here we go. I'm also responsible for my family. My family will be near to me. <laughs> Levi and his family will be, we'll all be in these ranks. It's not going to be a day of chaos and like, I don't know, and screaming, where is everybody by myself? It's not that. That is a lie from hell. It is a day of comfort. It is a day of reunion. It is a day of rest. It is a day of celebration. So we're going up in order in our ranks, and God's going to do that. Same thing at resurrecting here. It's not going to just be chaos, people popping out of the ground, and we're like, oh, who's that? What's going on? You know, God's the God of probably calling names and bringing them forth and resurrected them. So my problem is, which order does he go? Does he go oldest first, or does he go the newest first? 
I would submit that I think it probably goes the more recent back to the oldest. And I have a point there. So, so David gets resurrected because David knows who Jesse is and Jesse gets resurrected. And they both know who Jacob is. You know, if it goes the other way around, you know, Jesse gets ready. I don't know who David is. Who's I don't know who these people are. If you go back the other way, other than what God has told them in heaven or in the time where they're there now, but if it goes back the other wise, uh, we're all cheering, right? It's King David, you know, so we all celebrate. and we, You know, that the, the, the Psalms are answered. Here he is. He's having that. We get to celebrate with him. God's word is true. Celebration goes. Goes backwards again. You know, Jesse, Jacob, Isaac, you know, the son of Isaac. We get to see there's Isaac, and it goes back to Father Abraham. Are we not sons of Abraham? Are we not all descendants of his? The circumcision of the heart. And we celebrate, you know, that God has chosen his people. And look at the answer. And so Abraham, as he opens his eyes on the resurrection, he sees all these more than the stars in the sky. You know, the, all those promises are to him. There they are. Uh, he gets to see that lived out right before him. It keeps going backwards. Noah, Noah, you and your descendant. Here it is, Seth. Back to the last one resurrected, Adam. We get to see Adam, the one that we're all descended from, our father. You know, the one, our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather resurrected. And, and I think this was before we start terraforming it all because I think Adam is in left to see what sin has done to the world. The carnage and how it's ravaged. The garden that he knew was gone. But all these that have come to know Christ as Savior that is there. But God keeps his word. God's plan will not be thwarted. Satan has not hindered God one bit. God's plan will not be stopped. Let me say it that way. God's plan has not been stopped. Satan cannot do it. He put Adam in a garden that he made. Adam was made outside in the wilderness. God creates a garden, places man in it. Then he makes Eve. That's why we think she's a little more domesticated than us wild guys, right? And so she's made in the garden that God has made. And God said he makes the garden kind of like a show home. You know, in our edition, I can remember for our long before I ever lived on our edition, uh, I remember there being a show home there. And, and you see additions as they pop up, right? They build the first home, and we're going to build homes like this. And you go in and you see, and then they make those model homes. Eden was that, where God says, see this wild world? I, I want you to do this. Will you go forth, and bring it, subdue the earth, and, and, and make it after this manner in which I've done it. He showed him the pattern. So I think Adam's the one that we get our plans from, right? He's like, I want you to do the I want you to do this. And so as Adam is going to the millennial reign, Adam's one of the building plans. He knows how it's supposed to be. He knows what the garden's supposed to look like. And so we set forth to go and tame this wild world and we make it back to him. We get to help him replace it. We get to help him pull it all together. Judah loves his mama, we know. <laughs> because he says right there in verse 12, blessed is he that waiteth. This is happy. Oh, you get to be here for this. You get to see this 1,335 day. This is when it kicks off. This is when the curse is truly reversed and we're watching all these things happen. So the world's put back in its wild state. Now Adam is put forth to go and do this. And then verse 13. But go thou thy way till the end be. Now he's talking right to Daniel. For thou shalt rest. Daniel's promised rest. He's had a battle. What's Daniel's life been like? Oh, taken away, held captive, locked away from his family and friends, taken out of his country, you know, put in that way, thrown to lion's den, you know, he's been lied against, he's been, you know, slandered, he's had all these things that have come against him, people's taking vows against him. Um, 
Yeah, all yeah, yeah. He served at a higher rank and at least three, right? Yeah, so three kings. And he says, but then he says, you're going to have your rest and stand in thy lot at the end of the days. Now, this is the end. Rapture isn't the end. Rapture is the beginning of the end. This is the thing that kind of kicks off. It's the impetus that starts all this, that there'll be a seven-year tribulation. There'll be a, uh, <clears throat> after the seven-year tribulation, there's at least a 75 days worth of, 30 days worth of judgment, maybe 45 days worth of organization of things that are going on, you know, mortals and immortals working together, establishing the, the capital. Maybe that's where we begin first. We establish the capital. We erect all the thrones. Uh, look at Isaiah 9, and we'll come right back to Daniel 12, but Isaiah 9. Christmas verse here in September. That's hard to say already. Isaiah 9. This is one of the reasons I, I, I like this passage. Isaiah 9 and verse 6 says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is the Christmas card verses. And the government shall be upon his shoulder. That hasn't happened yet. That will happen during the millennial reign. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there shall be no end. Upon the throne of David, upon his kingdom to order it. So he orders it and to establish it. There's an establishing that goes on. It's, it's not just blinking an eye. It's there. It's something that is built with judgment and with justice and henceforth forever. The zeal of the Lord's host will perform this. The Lord's host performed this. It's not like just God winks it. He's made us for a reason. He put Adam on the earth. Could God have made the whole world a garden of Eden? Yes, he could have. But he put Adam in charge of this realm and said, I want you to do this. And he wants us to do that still. And so of the increase of his government, I, I see this as us planting flags, us spreading the gospel, us building these things. In my Bible, I drew the Starship Enterprise. We're going to go where no man has gone before. We're going to take a, uh, the gospel plan in this way. We're going to literally you know, go and, 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 and claim it all for the kingdom. We get to put a flag where it hasn't been before and say this is his. We're going to rule and reign with him. We're going to increase his government. We're going to build it with him. And it's the zeal of the Lord's host that will perform it. We're going to do it without delay. We're going to do it without him hawing. He won't have the problem he has with us today. Go out and witness and tell people about my kingdom. And I'll be like, ah, yeah, but it's a Dick Van Dyke marathon. And I might have some Batman shows. And I really need to go do this and do that. And I haven't done my, you know, my taxes yet. And I, we'll have thousands of excuses that we put out there. Well, like, I'm not really trained. No, we're going to have a glorified body that is not sinless or sin, sin, sinning anymore. It will be sinless. And so he'll ask us to do it. Then we'll do it. We'll comply. Uh, and we won't have to wrestle with the flesh. We'll be able to go. We have the strength. We have the power. We have the energy. Back to Daniel 12. Uh, we'll rule and reign with him. Second Timothy chapter 2 tells us. Daniel 12 and verse 13 says, But go thou thy way till the end be, for thou shalt rest and stand in thy lot. At the end of the days, Lot means his portion. There's a portion that is set aside for Daniel. Because that is the promise that is to the Jews. That the Jews have a promise that they will have a land. Well, you'll have your own well, and you'll have your own vine, and your own fig tree. And someone won't come take it anymore. You'll have your own homestead with everything on it you need you know, to be able to live and be self-sustaining in that way. He didn't promise that to us. He promised us that in my father's house are many mansions. I've gone to prepare a place for you. That's what he's promised us. He's promised them land. He's promised them acreage in that way. We're in the closer circle because we're the bride of Christ. So it's different. And so here we can see the subtle differences between an Old Testament saint and uh, the New Testament saint. The church does not replace Israel. Israel 
still has promises that are made unto them. He'll stand in his lot. He'll have his time uh, as promised unto him. <clears throat> uh, Daniel raises with them at the 1,335 days, not the rapture. And so the Old Testament saints are at the end of the tribulation, but before the millennium. And he, Daniel, stands at the end there in res- at, the, at the resurrection. What a day that will be. Rapture's crazy cool. I mean, we, some are, the, you know, the graves, the dead in Christ rise first, and we which are alive and remain are changed in a moment, and the twinkling of an eye, and then we fly up to meet him with the air, in the air. That's pretty cool. In the Old Testament saints, we get to watch them come up, and we'll cheer for them, you know, oh, it's him, and hey, it's Samson, you know, it's like, oh, you know, and he's not as big as I thought, you know, we'll do whatever we say, and, and we'll look, and we'll know, and, and, and then we'll rejoice. They're standing there alive. Job, we get to see Job, and he's... We watch the scripture be fulfilled, but he said, he goes, and I know in the last days I will see with mine own eyes, not somebody else's, I shall behold him, my flesh, though my reins be consumed within me, I will see my redeemer. You know, Job had that faith all the way back at the oldest book in the Bible that he would stand, his body resurrected. The thing we're to take from verse 13 is that that's the day we're all going to be. If you repented and trusted Christ as your Savior, are you prepared for that day? Are you prepared for that day? In Daniel 12, verse 3, he says, he's been telling us, preparing us for that time already. Those that are wise will shine bright. Those who turn many to righteousness, you know, as the stars. He's saying, what are you to be doing? You're to be witnessing, right? Those that be wise, those who take God's wisdom, not the world's wisdom, God's wisdom, those who witness and redeem the time in that way, be bright. Look at Philemon. First, find Philemon. And then tell me where it is. (laughs) Right before here, okay. Philemon chapter 1. If your Bible has Philemon chapter 2 in it, throw it away. It's no good. There's only one chapter. And so uh, Philemon chapter 1 verse 6. It's a little one. It's an easy one to turn past. Yeah, The title page of Hebrews. Yeah, it's a little, uh, Philemon 1 verse 6. That the communication of the faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. All right, let's break that down. He's talking to us for our edification, Paul. He's saying the communication of our faith may become effectual. We, want our, we need to communicate our faith. We need to be effectual at communicating our faith. Effectual means active. We need to be active about communicating our faith. You know, it's one thing to know the truth, but are we communicating the truth? Are we telling people? We have to open our mouths. Um, operative is another word for effectual there. It means we need to be an operative. Uh, operative, what's that mean? Engaging. The only time I ever think of an operative, I think of a spy. They're an operative. You know, an operative who is in a foreign land who's spying on... We're operatives in a foreign land who are trying to turn people over you know, to convert, you know, to be with us, you know, to lead them, to win them. Another word for effectual here, it's got three different meanings. It's active, it's operative, it's also powerful. You know, that we're not, a, we're not lacking. You know, that we have the power of God to transform men and women from lost people to saved people, from sinners into saints. It is not us who can do it, it is the gospel that does it, Jesus Christ does it. So we need to be effective. We need to be communicating the faith. We need to be effectual at it. By, by how do we get more effectual? By acknowledging 
of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. It's not by being proud. It's not by being pious. It's not by being arrogant. If there's anything good within us, it's from Jesus Christ. If any God has used us for anything, it's because of him and his strength within us, not because of what is in us. If he's given us any kind of skill or talent or trait and anything, it is a God-given gift that was betrothed to us. It is something that he laid upon us. Uh, look at Isaiah 64. And read this carefully. Isaiah 64, <clears throat> verse 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness as a filthy rags. And we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquity shall, like the wind, have been taken away. Familiar verse, right? This is one that we quote. You could probably say at least the first half of it along with me. I'll read it again, at least the first half here. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousness as a filthy rag. That's usually all we quote. Filthy rag there is like a leper's rag, like a rag of leprosy where you had these oozy sores where parts of your bodies would just eventually fall off and you had this rag that would wrap around it and it would get nasty soaked or you'd clean on it. So that's what it's like. Here's the thing that's shocking when you read this because we often quote it, we quote it wrong. We often think it's our unrighteousness. But it says it's our righteousness that's the filthy rag. No. Our righteousness, the thing that we think are the best of us or best that we are doing, the best that a man can be, his righteousness, God says, that's like a pus-soaked, nasty rag. What are our sins like to God then? If our righteousness is an unclean thing to him, what, is our, what are our unclean things like to him? No. So yeah, any righteous things within us is foreign. It is something that is given. It is something that he's put on it. So any good in us is Jesus. We need to acknowledge that. Let's look at one other thing in Philippians. We'll find all the little P's here. It's easy. Uh, Ephesians, Philippians chapter 2. Oops, I lied. Two more passages. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. This is what a Christian should be doing. Christians do not work for their salvation. It is a free gift that is given to us by Jesus Christ. We work out our salvation. What's that mean? We use it. We're to do it. We're to examine ourselves daily to make sure we're in the faith. Uh, if I was going to go to the gym to work out, that's not sitting on a bench. You, know, you expect me to pick up a weight. You expect me to get on a bicycle or a treadmill and do something. Right? I'm going to use my muscles. I'm going to work them out. Are we working out our faith? Are we working out the gospel? Have we put it to use? Have we put, put it under the strain and the pressure? Have we put it out there on the, on the live line of the, of the attack of the enemy? Are we working out our salvation? Have we told it? Have we shared it to somebody? That's what he's calling us to do here with fear and trembling. Now, is it always easy? No, you're scared to do it. Every time you open your mouth for Christ, you will be terrified. But courage is not the absence of fear. It's doing it in the presence of fear. We went to Mammoth Cave Monday, and uh, we went in the natural entrance, and as we approached it, you know, that's cool, you know, because you, you're walking on a hot day, and then you feel the cave temperature come out, and it settles on you. And we were sitting on this little rock bench, and the tour guide, the ranger there, starts telling us about, we're going on a free uh, tour where we're self-guided, and he's like, starts telling us about the cave, and he mentioned bats, which makes the boys a little alarmed. 
But uh, TJ's still kind of like, oh, we went to this mystery house. It's kind of like that mystery house. I'm like, yeah, it's a little nervous thing about like that. But then we came around the corner, and he saw the mouth of the cave and how many steps we had to go down and how dark it was in the rain. And he's like, I ain't going to that hole. <laughs> he's like, I don't. And he let everybody there know he wasn't going down that hole. And uh, we went ahead. Cash wasn't having too much trouble. He got more nervous around the water. But Elaine convinced him, you know, no, we're not going to get wet. We'll be okay. And they went on in. And TJ wasn't having it. People were coming out telling him there aren't any bats. It's okay, you know. But eventually he came down. Adam got him down. And as we were walking back up the long hill, we were outside the cave, we were going back, and we finally got back to the top, you know, where we could see cars and world again. TJ goes, I like that cave, Grandpa. And I'm like, I'm glad. He goes, because I'm scared of it. I said, I know. He goes, but then I got brave. <laughs> I'm like, yes, you do. And I told him, I said, bravery is not doing something in the absence of fear. It's because when fear is there, you do it anyway. I'm like, you trusted your daddy. That's what you're supposed to do. Dad would never do anything to hurt you. I said, but that's courage. This is courage. Doing something in the presence of fear. It's not the absence of fear. It's the presence of fear, but you do it anyway because it's the right thing to do. We work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Let's look at two more real quick. Let me go into extra innings here. Ephesians chapter 5. If not, we've got to come back to Daniel next week. No. Ephesians 5, <clears throat> look at verse uh, 16. I think of this one often. Ephesians 5, 16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. I think that's where we are. When you start redeeming the time, the days are evil. It's our time that we start picking up our game a little bit. Start redeeming the time that we are given. Not wasting away on fodder. Preparing for the day that we will stand. Matter of fact, Ephesians 6, verse 13 it says, wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able, that may be able to stand, uh, withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. That's what we want to do. We want to stand on that end day. We want to do all to stand now. We want to make sure we can. And so he gives us the weapons, right? Stand there, for verse 14, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. For as for me, the utterance light might be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel." For which I am an ambassador in bonds, and therein I will speak boldly as I ought to speak. Let that be our prayer for all of us. You want to be wise and shine like the sun? Then we will speak boldly. We'll see ourselves as ambassadors, as uh, operatives within this world, to reach out with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, to take as many as we can with us, to send those treasures ahead so that the Lord may be glorified, so that Jesus Christ gets all the glory for the sacrifice that he's made. And we can stand there with Daniel. On his lot. Maybe he'll invite us over for hot dogs one night. I don't know. <clears throat> but what a day that will be to be able to see it and gather with the saints. It will happen. That supernatural being that made all these promises and the things that we are seeing happen, raised two hands, swore to him who lives forever and ever. It will happen. This is how it's going to go. I think we're in the days where it's being open to us and we're seeing these things. So we better be prepared for it and ready to get busier. Thanks for going through Daniel with me. I'll announce Sunday what our new book is. I got few things I'm testing out here, but uh, I'll tell you what it'll be Sunday. And so, uh...